Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you just stumbled on this episode and you have not listened to part one, I would strongly encourage you to go back. It's the episode just before this and listen to part one of the Investing for Kids series. Part two that we're talking about today is just an informal Q&A, a heap of FAQs, a heap of listener questions from the Facebook group, and it will really complement part one. And the reason why I really suggest that you listen to that first is because we go through in detail the six ways that I believe that you can invest for kids. And a recap, that is number one, in your own name, number two, an informal trust, number three, an investment or education bond, number four, superannuation, number five, formal trust. So that would include a special disability trust and potentially testamentary trust, but we only really go into formal trusts as a discretionary family trust. And number six, investing in experiences. We're not going to go into details of these six here on this episode. This is purely a Q&A to supplement part one, which was the deep dive. Now, we can't do our Thursday episode here on My Millennial Money without the help and show partner GlobalX. GlobalX is our Thursday show partner. And I just really want to thank you, GlobalX, for stepping up and helping with financial literacy in Australia. Do you need some shine in your investing portfolio? Well, GlobalX launched the world's first physical gold ETF back in 2003. That's like 20 years and has been the home of gold ever since. With the ticker code, and that ticker code is the code that all ETFs and stocks are listed by on an exchange, the ticker code that says it all, GOLD, that's G-O-L-D, is the simple, trusted way to add gold to your portfolio. To learn more about gold before you start investing, please read the applicable PDS and TMD from globalxetfs.com.au and there's a link in the show notes. Let's talk about investing for kids, part two, all your questions answered. And to be honest, a heap of questions that you have asked in the Facebook group and through Instagram. If I don't get to your specific question, the episode part one and this part two, it should cover most scenarios. And I will stress that I know enough to be dangerous with this stuff, right? So you need to get professional tax and financial advice before you go down this road of investing for kids. My name's Glenn James. This is My Millennial Money. Okay, this is how we're going to do this episode. I'm going to recap and just refresh you around the CGT and the beneficial change of ownership. We're going to talk about some general FAQs that will probably answer a heap of your questions. As I said, I've tried to summarize everything that you have asked to scratch that itch. Then we'll go to some formal Q&A questions, the ones that you've personally sent in from the Facebook group. Then we will talk about generosity and financial habits for kids. And we'll see if we can get into some trouble along the way. So I just want you to remember every time we are talking investing, and this isn't just for kids, it could be 
for yourself, for your spouse, companies, trusts, all the things. We've got to understand this beneficial change of ownership thing and that impacts CGT and sometimes stamp duty comes to real property. But when it comes to capital gains tax, generally speaking, it comes down to who is the beneficial owner. In almost every case, if there is a change to the beneficial owner of an asset, this triggers a disposal. Now, remember when we talk about disposal, we're talking about a sale. We're getting rid of something. For real property, this can also trigger stand duty to be paid again. And this could be if you're gifting a house to another family member or you're selling a house. Now, here's a practical example. You have an informal trust arrangement with the child's name in the account designation. So it could be investing account, Glenn James, in brackets, Glenn James Jr. account. You reinvest the dividends and the money is for your child to do as they wish when they turn 18. It is not utilized by the parents at all in the interim, even in relation to expenses for the child, right? So just because it's an informal trust and it's got Glenn James Jr. in the account, it doesn't mean I can pay Glenn James Jr. school fees or school uniforms out of that money because that's an expense for Glenn James Sr. Each year you do a tax return for the child. So you've got the child with their own TFN and at 18, when transferred to the child, there is no change in beneficial ownership as the money was always intended for the child and not used for anything else. So this does not trigger any CGT, nor is there a disposal of the asset. The cost base remains the same. Your investment platform may do an in-specie transfer into the new account name, which is now the adult. And if you just walked in thinking, what the hell's going on? What's a cost base and all that? Well, let's just do a little rehash. I've purchased $10,000 worth of CBA shares. So that means the cost base for that investment is $10,000 where it starts. In three years time, those shares have grown to $20,000. So if we look at the cost base, 10,000, now grown to 20,000, that $10,000 above the cost base is the gain. So that is the amount that would get taxed. Now, during that time, that's the amount that would get taxed if the shares were disposed of. If I was saying, hey, I'm giving you these shares, if we were changing the owner. But because those $10,000 worth of shares were always for Glenn James Jr. on the brokerage account, what happens is when that child turns 18 and we transfer the account to Glenn James Jr. in his own name. So we will say Glenn James Jr., no mention of Papa G over here. For tax, Glenn James Jr.'s cost base stays at $10,000 because there has been no beneficial change. If they were always in Glenn James's account, not mentioning Glenn James Jr., and then when he turns 18, I'm like, well, I'll give you 10,000 shares, there's a beneficial change of ownership. Now, even if you did do an in-specie transfer with a broker, so they moved shares over to a different person's name, while the mechanics of things can work, similar to if you sold or gave away a house to a family member, there is still that deeming of, hey, 
we know that you kind of just move the ownership internally here and it's all good. But at the end of the day, the beneficial owner changed. And that's when we're going to re-trigger the cost base. So when the new Glenn James gets his investments, they're worth $20,000. Well, if he, it's actually no real different than if I was selling the $20,000 worth of CBA shares and just giving him cash to invest whatever he wants. Or if we are quote unquote transferring those CBA shares to Glenn James Jr., his cost base would reset at $20,000. But if it was in the account with a designation for Glenn James Jr. all along, when that transfer happens, his cost base will remain at $10,000. You with me? Didn't think so. Awesome. Re-listen to it. Beneficial change of ownership. You've got to know that when we're talking with all this stuff because it will flow through to when we are talking about dividends received, where are the dividends going? Are they taxed on the parent's TFN, even though there is an account designation for the child? Well, if it's on the parent's TFN and the accounts for the minor, well, who is the beneficial change of ownership? Who is the beneficial owner? Who is benefiting from this asset? Okay, let's get to the FAQs. And look at this, the first FAQ is following on from what I talked about, but I'll just read this so it's really clear. And the reason why it's important that we answer a whole heap of different questions and talk about it different ways is you might understand it a different way that I've said it uh, a second time. What if I invest for the child in an informal trust and use the dividends myself? Okay. Answer. This would also potentially cause issues with capital gains tax when transferring the account to the miner's name when they turn 18. This income would also likely need to be cleared on your income tax return as you have used the money. It has not been kept for the benefit of the miner. This is one reason why you need to be very careful with your intentions and that your actions along the way matches those intentions when setting up these arrangements. Question, can I have a joint account for my two kids? Yes, however, this would generally be in your name, not an informal trust. A formal trust could be set up with both kids as a beneficiary. Now, remember a formal trust arrangement, we probably are talking significant wealth where uh, both parents are on the highest marginal tax rate. Question, what investment platforms allow you to set up investing for your kids? Some common options and this is for Australia, where you might already be investing, include Raise Kids, Vanguard Personally Investor Kids, Self Wealth Investing for Kids, Perla Head Start, a minor account with Superhero, Stockspot Investing for Kids. It's really important that you read the PDS before signing up, and I would imagine most of them, if not all, would require a parent's account because how it works in the background, you just set up your account, you tack on a kid's account and in the background, they basically duplicate it. I know the Vanguard one called Vanguard High Growth, a different thing. Let's just do a real-time Google, Vanguard Investing for Kids. They, they basically duplicate the account and they've made it so kids can look at it, which is really cool. And they've got a conservative option, a balanced option, a growth option, and a high growth option. Now, the high growth option is just the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund. And it's got a little kangaroo on it. The growth option, Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund. Balanced, Vanguard Diversified Balanced. So 
they're basically just duplicating an account. And as I said in the last episode, and kind of along the lines of when we talk about in-species transfer and all that stuff, the technology and the platforms can allow you to do heaps of cool stuff, right? Whether that is transfer shares to another entity in species, so we're not having to sell them down or whatever, but there could be tax issues and stamp duty issues that the platform is agnostic to. So all that to say, you've got a responsibility if you are setting up a minor account with any of these products that you let them know the TFN of the child, you also make sure that that separate distribution statement gets put on the child's TFN because remember the money is for the child and it is an informal trust. Doesn't change the rules that because there's a online investment platform that make it really easy to invest for kids and most platforms just want people to invest in for them to have money and for them to make money on brokerage and uh, FX spreads or um, buy and sell costs and all that stuff. I mean, everyone's running a business, but you've got a responsibility to make sure that you are declaring the annual uh, distributions and dividends and whatnot on the child's tax return. And if the account lets you provide an individual tax return of the minor to them, I would suggest you do that. It's all really up to you. Question, how can you invest with someone else's kids? For example, your godchildren or for your friends or siblings' kids. So I'll probably say if it's once off, you can give the money to the parent to invest for the child if they do have an informal trust set up. If it's ongoing or a significant amount of money, an investment bond may be useful with the minor as the beneficiary because you've also got to control the risks of, you know, if you had some money that you wanted to give to your niece and nephews, well, there's a bit of, I don't know if you'd call it counterparty risk or or the minor's parents' risk that their drop kicks with money and spend the money that you've given them uh, to put on trust. So I think that's, and this way where it goes back to, sure, there might be some tax limitations or some purists might not like the investment bonds, but do the estate planning issues outweigh the other risks that could be there? It's a legitimate question. You could also technically just keep building wealth in your own name. And then when, you know, the your uh, nieces or nephews turn 20 or 25, 30, whatever, you might just decide, hey, I heard you, I heard you buying a house. Congratulations, he's 20 grand to go towards it. Something like that. And as I said, my view has kind of changed after doing all this research and going overseas with my nieces and nephews. In fact, just today before I hit record, I've turned off investing into the their investment bonds. So I'm just leaving the capital that's in there to grow. Just, yeah, fascinating really. Question, what happens with the investments if you, the adult, passes away prematurely? This all has to do with the ownership and the type of investment. This is why it's important to consider estate planning when setting up investments for minors. So let's just run through a couple of scenarios. Invested in your own name. Money goes to the estate and is, just, and is distributed as per the will. 
If it's in joint names with a spouse, it will revert to the spouse automatically, but do check with the platform or registry to confirm how they treat joint accounts, whether they treat it as joint tenants uh, automatically, which reverts to the spouse, or do they treat it as tenants in common, where the spouse's share reverts to their estate, the, the, person, the spouse who died, there may be options to change this arrangement with the platform you choose, but I would strongly imagine you'd have to have that arrangement noted before you add any money to the account, or it could have issues that are probably beyond the scope of what we're talking about now. But remember, I may have talked about it in part one. If there's a house uh, with two people, Jordan and Peter, they own the house 50-50. If Jordan dies, Peter, she instantly gets his share if it's in joint tenants. However, if it's in tenants in common and Jordan dies, Jordan's share is governed by his estate. And that may mean that Peter, the surviving spouse, may need to buy out his estate. Informal trust arrangement. If there is an informal trust arrangement and the parent dies, their estate slash legal representative would become the trustee until a suitable trustee can be found. The money doesn't automatically go to the minor. It is still held on trust for the minor, albeit informally. Investment bond. These fall outside of one's estate and are directed as per the beneficiary of the bond. These are not governed by one's will. So again, that's the estate planning piece. Superannuation. This also falls outside of one's estate. A beneficiary can be named and failing that, the superannuation trustee will use the discretion as to where the money is to be paid to. A superannuation fund needs to be wound up when the member dies. There can be a number of significant different tax outcomes upon the distribution of the superannuation account and so, and so special advice is recommended in this instance, preferably before you cark it. Now, just remember as a 101, the beneficiaries on a super account, if you're an adult, you can't put your adult brother or sister on there. They have to be beneficiaries for superannuation purposes effectively. So it's a dependent spouse, children. Uh, you just can't add some other random adult or charity as a beneficiary to your superannuation. You would select uh, your will or legal estate representative as the beneficiary. And then that money would flow as per the will and taxes, uh, because if you leave money in super to someone who isn't a beneficiary or a, who isn't a cis dependent or a tax dependent, uh, there can and will be taxes that need to be paid on some of those components. Formal trust. If you have a formal trust arrangement, you need to ensure your broader estate planning is sorted. A trust is controlled by a trustee. Many trusts established have a corporate trustee, which is best practice, which is a company. The shares and directorship will be held by the adult. So in practice, if an adult passes away, the administrator of their estate would control the trust and form a suitable solution going forward. This would also likely be the case for individual trustees rather than a company. It is important to get specific advice where a formal trust is involved as more than just a will needs to be considered. The trustee and the company's constitution also have an impact on what happens after death. So... That's an overview there. Can I get a tax deduction for contributing to a savings account or investment account for my children? 
Heck no, that is not possible. However, if you're going to be taxed on the income and you incurred costs relation in relation to that income, i.e. Uh, an account keeping fee, you can claim a tax deduction for these costs. Can I do multiple options, i.e. an informal trust for shares, an account in my name for your own cash and a bank account in my name for cash? Yes, you can. However, it goes back to ease of administration. What is easy to manage for someone is annoying for others. One strategy could be to have your shares for the minor in an informal trust and a notional account in your name, not an informal trust that is, that you can use at your discretion for education, experiences and all that stuff. The interest income will fall on the adult's tax return. There is no different to having an account used to save family holidays, for example, or if you want a boat fund or a shoe account or a cosmetic, you know, injectables monthly account. There's no different if you want to just do that for your child and then keep shares um, in an informal trust. What happens if I set up a bank account or share investment for my kids and then change my mind before they reach age 18 and decide to keep it in my own name? This isn't an issue if it's in your name. However, in the case of an informal trust having been set up, then an informal trust is the same as a formal trust in that the asset is considered disposed by the trust. So there is a consequential tax impact to whomever is considered to be the beneficial owner at the time, assumed to be the minor, if the informal trust is set up and treated appropriately. So you've got an informal trust set up for Glennie James Jr. You decide, nah, not doing it. Want to transfer that out to Glenn James Sr. The beneficial change of ownership occurs, which triggers a disposal and any gains will have taxable event. Okay, what happens if my spouse and I set up a bank account, share investment for our kids in our joint names or in a formal trust, and then we get divorced before the kids reach age 18? Answer, don't get married or have kids. Next question, do I update? Nah, joking. Okay, so if it's in joint names, not an informal trust, it becomes property for a divorce settlement. If it's a formal trust, the status quo would remain and you would likely continue to be trustees or directors of the corporate trustee company if this was a desire. Otherwise, one parent may be a sole trustee or director of the corporate trustee company. It's important to remember there are laws in Australia that can hold trustees to account if they are not acting within the trust deed of a trust. And similar, like if someone dies and there's an executor of the will, there isn't a huge risk that the executor can run away with all the money because they're just following the instructions of the will. If they do not do their duties correctly, they can suffer the consequences. So there you have it. Do I need to set up my will with details of the arrangements? Answer. It would be considered best practice to do so and note your intentions. As in, you have an informal trust set up for a minor and the intention is for the money to be used for a first home deposit or broadening their life experiences with travel when they become 25 years old, etc., etc. You may also have money in your own name or have contributed extra to the mortgage. Your intention should be noted in your will in concert with your partner's will and the broader estate planning considerations. It's probably a good time to say, regardless if you're going to invest for kids or not, sort out your will, sort out your 
power of attorney documents. It's once off. Don't worry about investing extra money until you spend, you know, maybe three or $400 a person to set up some decent wills. Then it's done. All right, we'll take a quick break. Then I'll come back and answer some individual questions from the Facebook group. We'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, this is from Ryan. Looking forward to the discussion on the tax aspect. I've got accounts for each of my kids in Superhero, just started this year. My understanding is that the tax on dividends is still applicable to me as the account holder. Wondering now that I type this if we would be having my wife open the superhero account for the kids, noting I'm in the higher tax bracket. Right. So, no. Remember, all the stuff we've discussed, Ryan, you've opened a miner's account on superhero as an informal trust. If the money is held on trust for the miner, the dividends need to be declared on the miner's tax return. And this goes back to, I reckon, maybe 80 or 90% of people who are doing this stuff with accounts from their broker or platform are probably not doing it correctly. And the, the platforms can't give tax advice. So they're just going to be like, here's the account set up, invest money for your kids. The, the tax on it's after the fact. So, so effectively, Ryan, if you were going to set it up in your wife's name, who has the lower income or the lower tax bracket, it wouldn't be an informal trust. It would just be an investment in your wife's name, aka the first option, which is to just invest in your own name. Uh, and it's kind of a notional account. Gabrielle, what's the advantages of investing for kids versus putting extra towards a mortgage and simply helping them out once they are at a point where they just need that help, e.g. to buy a car or a house? especially if the money you save over the long run, if you put that money against the mortgage in a redraw offset account. Well, and this is the whole thing, like just building wealth in your own name gives you options down the track. And by quote unquote, building wealth in your own name, that could be putting extra on the mortgage. So the house is paid off quicker than 
when the kids are 20 or 25, we're in a position that we're financially strong that we can help the kids. So I, and you know, these episodes, I'm not getting into the weeds of projections and all that stuff, but conceptually, once we look at all the drama of having to get a kid's tax file number and having to do a kid's tax return and the kid's punitive rates are like 47% anyway, is it actually worth investing in a kid's own name? Sure, there could be trade-offs that, okay, paying a little bit more tax on the income and having an informal trust will stop me from putting my mitts on it and spending it on something for me. Not sure. Julie, my 16-year-old daughter has inherited 20K. How can I mitigate her tax implications without increasing mine? So one, I'm going to assume that this money is not from a testamentary trust. It's just, there, there you go, there's the capital. It's not income or anything like that. It's just 20 grand, bam. This is one where I know enough to be dangerous. Your daughter can have an account at age 16, bank account, not a problem. Now, if she's working, she may satisfy that her income is taxed at normal adult rates or is or it is accepted income because she might be working part-time from a job. So I would, in this instance, Julie, probably look up accepted income on the ATO website and look up an accepted person, which basically means all income is taxed at adult tax rates if you're an accepted person, because there's another thing there works at least three months of a financial year. So yes, that's a wild one. Worst case scenario, um, I mean, and this is the different, this is the bloody annoying thing. Because it is cash, it is different to investing in shares because there's no cost base with cash, right? So look, I reckon you need to get some specific individual advice on that one because I can't actually tell you without knowing everything. Yolanda, I want to invest for my nieces who are nine and 11. I understand the money would be theirs from when they're 18. I have no idea how they would manage money at that point and I'm worried they would blow it. Plus their parents aren't great with money and I'm worried it might be co-opted and mismanaged by them. Any tips for this scenario? Well, Yolanda, you could build wealth in your own name and just keep building wealth. And, you know, when the time comes, the first niece is 22 or 23, you might make the call, hey, I'm in a good financial position. Here's $15,000. I know you're interested in buying a house. Uh, my gift to you. Or the other one might turn 23, 24 and he's on a different planet and not interested in anything financially and they don't buy a house until they're 30. So you can manage it that way. Just build wealth in your own name. Alternatively, I think one of the most appropriate options to consider is the investment bond like I've got for my niece and nephews where the money's in there, the account's in my name. I've put a non-binding note on the file that says if Glennie J dies, the kids get this money for the purpose of putting towards a home deposit. So that's what I would look at there. Either build wealth in your own name, stronger parents 
strong financial parents can mean more options and strong financial kids. Likewise, strong financial aunts and uncles have money to give away when and if the time is right. Eve also asked, what are the considerations when you're investing for kids that are not your own? So yeah, the the same thing there, like I've taken the view as I've been crapping on, like I'm not putting any more capital into the bonds, but it might be joining them on a holiday and spending time with them. Simple as that. Christy, multiple siblings. I have two children, six and three years old. I can't seem to find an account where I can have both their names on it. That's probably correct. Am I better off investing into the one account or two separate? So realistically, it doesn't matter. If you do the one account, well, it probably does matter, but if you do the one account, it's probably going to be in your name. Because likewise, you can't have one account and just put the eldest name on, on there as an informal trust and add money and then all the income goes to one child, well, but shouldn't the income go to the other one if it's a joint account? So you're probably right. You won't get a joint account for two minors. Um, so I would imagine in your situation, it might be having an account in your name that's a notional flag for both kids. So you set up an, a, an investing account. It's just in your name. It's a second one. You've got your investment account where you put your money in. It's all all G. And the second investment account in your name you put smaller amounts in and you just know and you've just quarantined that this money is for the children. And then at different times, uh, and I'll lead into Scott's question next, you can then make a decision when you want to give that money, sell down shares, put towards car, home, do whatever. The tax is on your TFN. Scott says, how to manage the fact that your younger kids will probably end up with more from their investments simply due to time in the market. My 14 might end up with seven to eight K, but my six-year-old would likely have much more. Is that fair or what? What's a parent to do? Yeah, look, this just goes back to, you've just got to make a call. Like, what are you going to do? Like, I know if one child needs glasses and it's $400 for a pair of glasses, well, we don't just go, well, we spent $400 on glasses for this kid. He's $400 for a PlayStation for that kid or whatever. You've basically got two separate accounts here. I mean, my 14 might end up with seven, eight K more, but my six. So this is obviously due to, because I'm thinking like at one end, the six-year-old won't need the money at the same time as the 14-year-old. Or are you saying that because you've started the accounts later? I don't know. Just be pragmatic. Use your brain. It's all your money. And this is why you can't get too technical because it's like, you got a decent size age difference there. You might say, okay, the account got to eight grand for the 14 year old by age 20. Well, when the six year old's 20, well, inflation's going to be dicking around with the exact same number, number. So it's not going to be eight grand. Just be like, hey, there's more in this account. Or at the time you sell down, when you're selling down the 14 account, you take some money pay tax on it, put some of the capital back in the younger kid's account. I don't know. This is the whole thing. Just build wealth in both kids' names. It's a good problem to have. Remember, it's your money. It's on benefit for them. If you change the rules a little bit down the track, well, you might say to the kid, there's eight grand in the account. You're getting 7,000. 
and they whinge, well, you get none. What do you want? $7,000 or none? So, yeah, that's a good question though. Kev said, I have three subsidiary accounts for my kids sitting under my name on the superhero platform. I have no idea whatsoever about the tax implications down the road. I suppose my focus is just to get them interested in learning about investments, but I may, I need to look into the tax implications hanging out for this podcast to cover this well. And this is what I was saying, I think in the episode before, like, can you just do superficial amounts to get the kids educated and involved on these platforms and just build wealth in your own name and buy experiences, not things in your own name? I'm not sure, but we know the tax implications are Kev has three subsidiary accounts for his kids sitting under my name. Well, technically, they're three informal trust arrangements. So technically, each statement from the subsidiary kids' accounts need to go on the three kids' tax returns each year. It's all about beneficial ownership. And we know if someone's a beneficial owner of an asset, they own the income of the asset. Look, so that's been a, a heap of uh, questions. I would really encourage you to um, to go back and listen to part one and even to this Q&A again. As you can see, it's even that question about the 20 grand in the bank account and is the kid working now? So does the interest get taxed at adult rates or minor rates? It's confusing and I don't know all the answers get tax advice, but thanks for listening. Let's just now talk finally about some other couple of things that I wanted to add. When it comes to teenagers and when they start working, what you might decide to do if you've gone down that road of, we will just build wealth and then maybe give some money to kids for their car or a home deposit or pay for their education or something like that. If you go down that road, what you could do to really engage the team in good savings habits could be like, well, we think we can give this child, I'll make a number up, $10,000. What you could do to the child to help them save when they get their first job, you can be like, hey, we're going to help you do this financially or do that financially. Or if they've got a goal, like they want to buy their first car and it's $10,000 and you've set $10,000 aside. What you could do is do a, a match thing. Say, hey, when it comes to this date, when you're 18 years old or whatever, or 10 years or 20 years old, whatever the line in the sand is, we will match up to $5,000 with whatever you save. So if you save $5,000, we'll give you 5,000. If you save six, we'll still give you five because we're only matching up to $5,000. So that's a way to engage the kids in saving more because there could be an incentive if they are saving for that first house, if they are saving for that first car. So the reason I think that's cool is because you're just building wealth in your own name. And hey, if they save money sooner, then they're like, oh, I've already saved that five grand. And you're like, you know what? You are switched on financially. We're going to release that now. And they're going to start investing in their own name at age 18 or something like that. So that's also a good option, the old matchy-matchy. Uh, and then if there is more money left over, well, you, you can be like, hey, you've done a killer job. We're not only going to match with five grand, we're going to match with 10 grand on the proviso that it's not 
wasted or, you know, all that stuff. So the matchy matchy is a, a good one to do. So I'm just going to read some things here around generosity and financial habits for kids, teaching kids general financial education concepts. So you can have a conversation around modeling where we ran an informal survey with parents in our community and discovered that most parents find conversation and modeling to be the most effective way to teach their kids about managing money, where previous generations didn't really talk about it, change the culture now and start talking about money with your kids. Talk and show them concepts like spend less than you earn. Show them what money comes in and out each week. And this will be age appropriate. Like if you've got a 15 year old, you might say, all right, you're old enough now. Here's mum and dad's budget. We've both got X amount coming in. This is how we manage it. You know how we couldn't buy you that new bloody thing the other day? Have a look here. There's actually no money. So if it's a five-year-old, it will be age appropriate. Mummy's going to work. Daddy's going to work. So we get money to buy food at the shops. Show them what you spend money on and why. When you go to pay your bill, ask your kids to join you in the process. So, all right, kids, come here. See this AGO, AGL bill on the fridge or email, whatever, we're going to pay that. Teach them about what you want versus what you need. Explain what items in your expenses are mandatory and what's nice to have. You could even do that at the supermarket. Talk about saving and investing money for the future. Show them how much things cost and how long it would take to save for those things. That's a good one there. Teach them about compound interests. And we'll put a link in the show notes. There's a recent blog that we did uh, about how compound interest works and how to explain it to your children. And then when they're ready, explain the difference between paying for things with money that you have versus debt. When it comes to allowances, customize this to your kids and family culture. Some parents choose to pay an allowance for doing chores at home. Consider if you'd like to do that or pay an allowance for jobs that they do above basic chores because, you know, just being part of this family means that there's unpacking the dishwasher that needs to be done. There's the bins out that needs to be done, all that stuff. And I mean, I personally don't have kids, but you know better than I do with this, but use this as a prompt, as an encouragement to talk to your younger kids or nieces or nephews about money. So whatever way you choose to go, teach them about spending, saving, investing, and giving with the money that they earn or are given. So when you teach them to be generous, Show them the charities or projects that you support as a family and why. Maybe you could help your kids identify what causes that they might like to support. Share how you can be generous with your time as well. Offer to help a friend or cause that needs volunteers. And remember to talk about privilege and about how everyone's situation is different. Some families earn less or more than you. And we're all affected by things like illness, misfortune or anything like that. But just start the conversation. You know, if you're ever talking to a kid, if you start chatting away, questions might follow. I tried to explain to my niece, Grace, about, hey, you've got this investment account, you own shares. You know how you go to JB Hi-Fi? Yep, yep. I explained to her that, you know, JB, JB Hi-Fi is a business they sell iPads, for example, but what they do, they've got a 
sell the iPad and get money from that iPad. Out of that money, they've got to pay for rent, staff, the product itself. And then whatever's left over is profit and that profit is split with owners. So you might keep it real basic, use a schema that they understand, the Woolworths. We go to Woolworths every week. Use a schema they understand. They know JB Hi-Fi. They know this shop. So what are you going to do? That that's kind of concludes our informal Q&A, uh, investing for kids. As I've said, I've changed my mind and view with what I'm doing with amassing money for my niece and nephews. And to be honest, they've got enough bloody money anyway. Like they get what they want. <laughs> like We just went to Bali as a family. Like they'll be fine. I'm more focused now on the whole time thing and the experience thing. Um, sure, there's a bit of money in an investment bond for each of them, but I'm not adding any more. No, I'll tell them that it's there and it's building and they can understand how it gets invested and all that. But honestly, it's if I have kids, I'm not doing separate kids accounts. I'm just building wealth. Done. Easy. Situation changes. Pivot. Done. Sure. Superficial, small amounts for them to understand. But I'm talking your wholesale, like, oh, we've got $200 a month that we're going to invest for kids. All right, well, let's maybe take that to $50 or $20 and just invest the rest ourselves. Hey, thanks so much. If you found part one and part two interesting, please send it to someone who may want to know about investing for kids. If you love the podcasts, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts. Really appreciate that. It helps us get the word out there. I'm Glenn James. This is My Millennial Money. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.